Yeah, welcome to church, people. <laughs> I can see it next week. Free Presbyterians outside. If you're a free Presbyterian, I hope I haven't offended you. And uh, welcome to the vineyard. You're very brave in coming on a morning like this. But we do love to party, and we do love to celebrate. And we're not really that fussed in religion around here at the vineyard. So the reason why we're doing all this this morning is because it's 10 years. 10 years that we've been doing this sort of thing, giving away to God, what he's been giving to us. So it's a, it really is a happy birthday to you, and a happy birthday to me, and a happy birthday to we. So if you've got your party poppers, just let them off, and uh, you can actually say thank you to God for his goodness. Carl McCammon's panicking, she doesn't have a party, do you not have a party popper? You let yours off earlier? All right. There's always one. It's a bit like communion, isn't it? People don't know when they take it. Some people take it earlier than... 10, 9, 8, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Oh. <clears throat> so... Uh, we're going to pass our offering baskets around now. Uh, if you can't give after a morning like that, I don't know what. So uh, please do give generously. Make sure the offering baskets do go around. If you're using your gift aid form, remember we can claim that money back free of charge from our government. So let's keep making that a, a must for us. So as I say, it's happy birthday. I didn't, we didn't realize this week that we were actually in the double digits of blessing our community at Christmas time. And so just as we... Just as we wrap up this part of the celebration this morning in this conversation, um, I want to invite you and me and everyone that you can connect with this Christmas and throughout 2017, I want to invite you to impact people this year. I need you this coming Christmas and New Year to help people... Shh, 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 shh. Listen, this is very important. This part's very important. I want you to help people that can't help themselves. Do you hear me? I want you to help people that can't help themselves. So it's a celebration here at Vineyard. We are celebrating outward-focused Christmas. We've changed Christmas. We've put it on its head. Actually, we've put it right side up, I think. And so for, for years and years and years and years in the Vineyard here, we've been saying the most, the most, probably the best time in the year to be generous is Christmas, because we all do it anyway. And so what we do at this time of year, we just lean into generosity. We start a revolution and a wave of generosity here in Dungannon. And we've done that now for over probably 10 years in a small way, but 10 years in an intentional way. And uh, guys, that's just amazing. That's really amazing, isn't it? It really is for 10 years for a church like this to impact so many people here near and far. <clears throat> over the last 10 years, it's been an incredible journey. But we don't give up on it, and we don't say we've done that, we're moving on, because this is what we do here at the vineyard. And so I'm going to do something, this might seem like a shift in gears this morning. I'm going to talk about, listen, listen to this, listen to the, t the, the title of my message this morning, listen, listen, get your ears, Angry Jesus. I'm going to talk about Angry Jesus. Has anybody ever watched the movie, uh, what do you call the movie? Talladega Nights, Talladega Nights, when they do grace, and I love baby Jesus, and you know when they do that prayer to start, well this is angry Jesus this morning, I'm going to explain it, it's quite amazing, I'm going to explain, and suppose some of you never, 
You wouldn't put Jesus in the angry box, would you? You wouldn't say there's angry Jesus, there's lovely Jesus, there's merciful Jesus, there's soft Jesus. But there also is angry Jesus. And I'll explain that in just a moment. You're probably thinking, what has this got to do with OFC? What has it got to do with 10-year celebration? Uh, So please stay with me. Do you like the lights? Pretty cool. I built those myself. (laughs) Uh, So do you know what got Jesus angry? It's a question. Do you know what got him angry? Uh, The things that that get Jesus angry doesn't get me angry. And the things that get me angry doesn't really get Jesus angry. Because most of the things, when it comes to Jesus, his his motivations and his actions are so different from mine. I don't know about yours, but everything that Jesus did, everything that he said, his motivations, his heart, his outlook on life, on humanity, is so different from yours and mine's. I would go to say that in generalization. It's different from us. It's a, it's, so this is a different getting mad, isn't it? This is going to have to be a different getting mad. I mean, I mean, I get mad about things that I've forgotten about the reason why I got mad about that thing. Do you ever, you ever like that? Do you ever get mad about stuff and you're still mad but you don't know why you're mad? I've got mad at Michelle when Michelle's maybe been away like thousands and thousands of miles, but I'm mad at her because I've spilt the milk across the kitchen table. And, uh, but, but if she hadn't went to India, I wouldn't have had the put that milk across the kitchen table and I wouldn't be so stressed and so therefore I spilt the milk and it's all her fault and I'm really, really mad. See, our mad is... I mean, how mad is that? I mean, have you ever got mad, angry and then forgot about what it is you got mad about? You just remained angry and mad all day at people? Yeah? When somebody was going slow up the Killing Man Road... In the first bit, yeah. <laughs> and you miss the sec- Those two lights, you know, you get one and you don't get the other. It gets me mad. But the thing that gets us mad is the reason why we get mad, and I'm going to generalize again. Michelle tells me not to generalize, but I'm doing it. The thing that gets us mad is when we don't get our own way. Really and truly. The things that get us angry and get us mad, it's usually that we don't get our own way. It's usually something about me. It's usually something when it's not right and it's not fair. My kids say, it's not fair. And it's not right. And I say, do you know what's not fair? Kids dying in Africa. That's not fair. But I can be as selfish as them sometimes then when I don't get my not fair and my not rights. I'm just as selfish and it's our entitlements. You know, it's my space at the car park at Christmas time, isn't it? Yeah, I need to have a fight with a taxi driver at Christmas Eve in Tesco's last year because I parked in a taxi space and he gave off to me. On Christmas Eve, like, could he not have given me the space? You know, and then you're going to her mother's this Christmas and not your mother's this Christmas. Does that get anybody mad? Good. Good, church. You're a lovely bunch of people. So Jesus got angry because, let's discover, let's find out. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're a count of the life of Jesus, the story of Jesus, probably written about 470 after uh, A.D., 
after the death of Christ. And so Mark is one of those Gospels. Um, he was Greek, and the, most of the scholars, most of the smart people that have uh, studied Bible manuscripts, they say that Mark got his story of Jesus from a guy called Peter. You know, the rock, not the wrestler, but Peter the rock. That guy, the guy that got the question right when he said, who do you say that I am? So he gets his account from him. And so I want to turn to the book of Mark, chapter 3, verses 1. If you've got a tablet, if you've got an iPhone, if you've got paper, if you don't have one, there's Bibles actually on that table. If you don't have a Bible and you want a Bible, there's free Bibles on the table. Just grab one on the way in. Or if you want to take one home with you, please feel free to do that too. We'd love to to, uh, be our gift to you. So Mark 1 and 3, it says, When Jesus went to the synagogue, so he has this custom of gathering together, in a corporate place, as well as walking through the market streets and the village streets, he also goes into the place of corporate worship on a regular basis. And you only remember the story that when Jesus taught, that says in the scriptures, when Jesus taught, he taught as one who had authority. Now, it wasn't that he spoke with a King James accent and roared at people uh, in a hell and damnation way. That wasn't the authority that Jesus spoke with. Jesus actually backed his words up with action. Do you know that people are frustrated with the church and people have a bad perception of the church? And it's usually because we talk a lot about love, we talk a lot about power, we talk a lot about forgiveness. But everything that we talk about, we need to do. We need to actually back it up because he had words and he had works. He had words and he had works. All the time Jesus would say something and then he would do something. It says the kingdom of God had come and then he said he preached the kingdom. And then I'm thinking, what did he preach? It doesn't say he preached very much. It says that he healed people, that he cast out demons, that he raised the dead, that he set people free. And that's the type of preaching that he did. It was words and works. It was words and works. He says, the kingdom's here. Do you want to see it? And he would show the kingdom of heaven. Isn't he good? So you've got to remember this in this story. There's a reason why I'm telling you that, because all eyes are locked on Jesus. People remember him going to the synagogue. Sometimes they give him a scroll. I know that because one time they give him in, in uh, Luke's account, in Luke uh, chapter 4, he opens up the scroll and he turns to the prophet Isaiah and rules that and he starts to read the prophetic voice of the prophet Isaiah. Remember that? So he's in the synagogue again and people are watching. All eyes are on Jesus. And so it says another time, another time, it's just it, he goes again and again to the temple. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Suddenly, here we are introduced to religion that values God more than what God values. It's the first thing that we're on here. The first thing is that they're not interested in Jesus healing the man and doing good. They're interested to see if he is going to break a rule on the Sabbath. They're actually saying, we value God, but we don't really value what he values. And that's what religion is really all about. Religion likes to value God's stuff, but sometimes it doesn't value the stuff that God values, i.e. humanity and people. Do you ever find that? Have you ever found that? Richard? Have you ever found that sometimes we get so caught up, myself included, that we get caught up in the law of God and the things of God and the things that we think that are valuable to God, but we sometimes forget that we're not valuing the things that God actually values? That's what religion does all the time. So they watched him closely. Why didn't you try that? Give me your intense eyes. Seriously? I didn't say grumpy faces. I says intense eyes. That's it, Andy. You've got a job in extras. 
And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, as they watch him intently and closely, seeker sensitive, stand up in front of everyone. I mean, can you picture the guy? He's probably thinking, jeez. You know, could they not do like prayer ministry? You know, could, could, they, could they not wait to the synagogue parts going and when they do the piano thing at the end and the Hammond organ in the synagogue? You know how they did that in those days? And, uh, and when they were doing that moment and then the preacher prays last prayer and he says, hey, have a great week, walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Could we have the prayer team forward? I mean, that's what he's probably banking on, right? But he goes in and he's got a shriveled hand. Uh, um, what, would we, what would we call that nowadays? Would that be antithy? A hand that is shriveled? I'm going to get out while I can. And so he's got this shriveled hand, and it's an awkward moment in front of everyone. I mean, this is like, everybody's watching me. No, everybody's watching you. Can you imagine the guy with the shriveled hand just stand there and all the eyes locked on him? And, and, and so he stands, and all the eyes looking on him to see what's going to happen. Jesus goes, and he asks him in this story two questions. Some multiple choice questions. And this is what Jesus asked him, okay? Which is lawful on the Sabbath? And Michelle did a great job talking about Sabbath last week. To do good or to do evil? To save a life or to kill a life? Now, that's not rocket science. I'm sure that if Jesus came in here this morning and he was to come up here, some of you would like him, some of you wouldn't like him. Uh, if he was to come in here this morning to the Vineyard Church Dungannon, he took a seat and he asked that question to you and he says, which is lawful to do on a Sabbath day? Is it to do good or do evil? And you would say... Good, yeah, not rocket science. You wouldn't have to phone a friend to go 50-50 or anything. Dad, you would get it first time, probably. And then he says, to save a life or to kill? Save a life. Good, 10% people in here want to save a life. 90% are want to kill somebody. Save a life or kill? Save. Save. Green Black still not convinced. <laughs> they had the Sabbath pretty tight, by the way. It's funny, the rules were no work, but I am being slightly critical. You would have to get somebody else to do the work for you, because things still need done. Uh, this happened in our, in our house. My mom and dad grew up in Derry, and, uh, and so there was a, people in the community who celebrated Sabbath. There was a, an actual t- a temple or tabernacle. Yeah, synagogue, that's the one. And, uh, and so my, my, my granny's job, um, she lived in the fountain, and there was a synagogue just around the corner from them. And so my granny's job was to turn off and on the lights on a Saturday evening and to put the food in and out of the fridge. Isn't that kind of cool? But please don't beat me up. All I'm saying is, it's like, it's like us sometimes. It's like me sometimes. You know, I, I get mad when someone else sins, but... When I sin, it's just that I've had a bad day. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever done that? When somebody else screws up, it's like, jeez, Brian Cummins screws up again. But when I screw up, it's like, do you know the day I had? Do you know the week I've had? That's what religion does. It turns things around and skews things up. And they would, they would actually, they, they, they knew this, so... So they knew the question, they knew the question, they knew the question, multiple choice questioning, big questions, do good or do evil. Seriously, Jesus? Save a life, kill a life? Seriously, Jesus? You're asking us that type of question. It's not a hard question, to be fair. And so these are smart people. They're trying to trick and trap Jesus. That's the question in the start. It's religious people holding tight to the laws and not valuing the things that God values. And they're trying to trick him and trap him. So Jesus turns 
the table. Now, the drama here is that most people in this room would have saved their animal on the Sabbath day. They would have done that. If their donkey was falling down a ditch or fell down a ditch, uh, they would have got a lasso rope out and and brought the donkey in. If they lost a sheep or whatever they had in those days, goats, uh, they would have went out of their way to rescue their animals because their animals were their livelihood. They would have done that. There's, there's, no, there's no question about it. Is it okay to do good on the Sabbath, say they're killed? The question is, is the law of God for the benefit of God or for the benefit of people? That's my question to you. Seriously, is it for, does God make the law, the law for him or does he make it for us? For us. He's pretty okay. God has everything he needs. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He called the stars in his space. He named them and put them in his space. He stored up snow houses. He, he creates seasons. Isn't it a beautiful season? Today is absolutely stunning out there today. And so he creates all this stuff. He doesn't need anything. He created out of nothing. We create out of stuff. He said, let there be. Can you imagine it? We're getting our house painted. I would love to say painted. Wallpapered. Uh, even better, wallpaper stripped. That would be pretty amazing. But we create out of something. He doesn't need anything. Therefore, those rules and those things are not for God. They're for actually humanity so that we live well. Uh, and just that whole thing of Sabbath. You know, some people get caught up in Sabbath. Who's Sabbath for? God or us? Us. Right? God doesn't need a rest. He can create, in a moment he can speak and it can happen. He doesn't create Sabbath for, for himself as if, hey, I'm going to create Sabbath. That's a great rule for, for me as a God. No, he creates Sabbath because he sees some burnt out 21st century people spending what they don't have, getting what they don't need, and getting kind of irritated and, and screwed up and, and stealing from the poor and, 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 and misusing our wealth and our food and our resources. He, he, he sees all that and he says, you know what? Take a rest. Take a rest. And so he's teaching the community, our community, your community. He's saying, why don't you try this thing? Why don't you work from rest instead of resting from work? And it'll change your life. Verse 4, everybody already knows the answer to the question. But if they give in, they know that Jesus wins. And in this moment, they don't want Jesus to win because they want to have their way and their day. They can't let Jesus be right. Can you imagine if let Jesus be right? If Jesus is right, is he right about other things? Is he really the king? Is he really the Messiah? Is he really the one come to seek and save those who are lost? Is he really going to... You know, take all our stuff that we've been working hard, all our rituals, all our stuff, all my positions, and might, might he give it to somebody else? We can't let him win. We can't let him win. And they're getting mad because they're not getting their own way. And when our application interprets, the interpretation conflicts with the offer of Scripture, then we've got the wrong application. Let me say that again. When our application when our interpretation conflicts with the offer of Scripture, guess what? We've got the wrong application. We've got the wrong application when it conflicts with the offer of Scripture. When our application conflicts with the offer of Scripture, we've got the wrong application. So they remain silent. They remain silent. How does Jesus act when people use the law that was given to people that God loves? How does he react when people use the words of God to hold back 
doing good to the people of God. And we sang about it this morning. Today is about a celebration. He is good. He is good. He is good. He is so, so good. Jesus once said, you know, when you see me, you don't only see me. He says, I'm a mirror image of my Father in heaven. And here's a screwed up thinking, and sometimes it gets into our thinking too. We think that God's Mr. Bad Guy and Jesus is Mr. Social Justice and given to the poor, don't we? We like Jesus because Jesus is cool and hip and social, socially activated and socially motivated. But Jesus can only do what he sees the Father doing. So every time Jesus feeds the poor, he's doing what the Father's heart is always about anyway. Every time when Jesus uh, uh, forgives somebody who's caught in the act of adultery when the lady is, is, is playing about and sleeping about with other people, do you know what's actually happening there? That's just the heart of any father towards a daughter. And Jesus just reciprocates the heart of the Father to other people. So Jesus says, when you see me, you see the Father. When you see the acts that I have to, you've got the heart of the Father. When you see my actions, that's, those are not just my actions. I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. John 5, 19. And so he looked around, verse 5, at them in anger. And deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Angry Jesus. They knew what to do, but they wouldn't do it. They're unwilling to acknowledge. They knew he was right, but they couldn't let Jesus be right. They couldn't give way because Jesus was getting in their way. And if they give way to Jesus, he would be the way. And they actually said he was the way. And so in this moment, they say, if we give way to him, he's going to get in our way. And he's going to start a whole new revolution called this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of God. He's going to start to turn things upside down in us. He's going to make those who are least, he's going to give them positions at the top. He's going to make the, the, the wise uh, dumbfounded at times. He's going to use the foolish things of the word. If we give in now, he's going to get in the way of all that we've given our lives to for years and years and years and years. And we've got this package good. We've got it boxed up good. It's looking pretty smart. We know most of the rules now. We've got 613 of them or 614 of them. And so we've got this thing pretty good. But here comes this guy called Jesus, unannounced, but yet he was announced, uninvited. Yet we all secretly were hoping for a Messiah to come. And so he comes. And he is right. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched out his hand and he was completely restored. And in that moment in the synagogue when the guy's hand is completely restored, everybody rose to their feet. They got party poppers and balloons and all sorts of things in those days that they had. And they got up and they just gave this tumultuous, if there is such a word, applause and clap and roar and cheer that Jesus healed the man with a shriveled hand so that he could go working again, that he could go back into society again, and he would no longer be a freak, but he would also be somebody that is whole and healed. And everybody went absolutely wild on their seats and said, Yay, Jesus! Yay, Jesus! You're just the best thing for humanity, right? No. There wasn't even a golfer's clap in the room. There wasn't even as much as that. You would think there would be excitement. Then the Pharisees, the religious people, they went out and they began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Wow, what a reaction to doing good and saving life. Sometimes religion doesn't buy into good. It talks a lot about good, but actually when good is done, it sometimes does not like it. 
And sometimes when we do good and when we give our best and we give our resources and we give all that we have here in this town, don't always expect the applause, but always remember that your Father in heaven sees you and looks down and says, I, with you, I am well pleased. It's his approval that we're seeking, not the approval of man. Man, if we live by the praises of man, we'll also die by their criticism. Won't we? If we live by the praise of humanity, we also die by their criticisms. And so here's my big point. You got some energy for the big point? Still awake? Okay. And by the way, if you were in that room in the synagogue, even if you don't like Jesus this morning, there's probably some people in this room who are really mad at Jesus and stuff happens in your life and you've got some stuff that's been bumpy on the road and we can get angry with Jesus and we can get mad at Jesus. But can I ask you a question? When you read this story and you hear this story, even if you're not yet fully convinced in giving Jesus your yes, Aren't you on a side when you hear this sort of thing? Come on. I mean, aren't you, in this moment, don't you find him compelling and attractive that he actually heals and restores people and brings them back into society and makes their life livable again? Is that? Come on, even if you're not fully convinced on Jesus, are you on his side? He is attractive, he is compelling. So here's my big point, my overarching thing this morning. The hinge that I want to talk about this morning, everything, everything hangs on this. Jesus' version of religion is uncomfortable. How do you like that? Let's do the raffle again, I hear you say. Let's throw out some more Terry's chocolate orange. No, but Jesus' version of religion is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for the Pharisees in, in that all we want is religion at times. And we want a religion that frees us to treat people how we could treat people whatever way we want to treat people at times, depending on how we're feeling, because sin is selfishness. When we don't get our way, then we get mad. But that's not the Jesus mad. That's not the Jesus angry. See, we want, we want a faith that keeps us accountable to God. Accountable God on his rules, but not on others whom he loves, called humanity. Does that make sense to you? Am I saying that right? We, we, we can actually value God. We think we're valuing God. We can actually uh, engage with the rules. Hmm? The rules of engagement with God. I mean, we can come to church. We can look good. We can be generous. We can do all this. But, but we can actually sometimes treat people the way we shouldn't treat people. And this religion is uncomfortable. I mean, we want to look in the mirror and we want to receive the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus, but then sometimes we want to stick two fingers up at people. See, it's, it's, it's a bit like pagan religion, isn't it? It's like pagan religion thousands and thousands of years back, and we're heading off to India on Tuesday, Michelle and I, and Stephen McCammon's going to join us. Would you please pray for us uh, as we head out to India this Tuesday for a week and um, back to North India, to Avanish, where we've been working for years now. But I watch them in their temples and what they're doing in the temples and when they come and they bring their flowers and they bring their gifts and it's to appease the God. It's to appease the God. And they don't really care what effect that has on them, how they treat humanity because that's not what it's about. It's just about keeping the God happy so that God is happy and there's no wrath on them because that's what pagan religions are all about. And sometimes Christianity can look more like a pagan religion than the Christianity that Jesus gave himself for. We want to keep God happy. God, I want to keep you happy. You know, I don't smoke, I don't drink. 
I don't chew gum. But, but yet we don't treat humanity with a heart that God treats humanity with. And that's a pagan religion. It's keeping them happy. But it doesn't keep them happy. It actually gets them angry. Jesus got angry when religion got in the way of God. Jesus got angry when religion got in the way of God. That a tweet. Jesus got angry when religion got in the way of God. Religion is in the wrong side of God. Listen to this. Listen, 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 listen. Religion, when it gets in the wrong side of God, when it thinks it can value God but not value what God values, that's being on the wrong side of God. When you think, when you think that you're valuing something but God's not valuing, then that's religion. That's religion. And I know there's no one like that here in the vineyard. So breathe easy. But have you ever met godly people? Have you ever met what people call godly people and you've watched them, how they treat people, and you intuitively know that that's just not godly? Yeah? Have you ever met people that people talk about godly people? People talk to me about, you know, he's such a godly man. He fasts. He prays. You know, he gets up in the morning at four. And he's a godly man. And that's pretty cool. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. But I ain't really interested in all that stuff. I want to see how you treat humanity, how you value what God values, how you, you see the world, how you, how you engage with humanity, even when you don't feel like engaging with humanity. And Jude, if you know this doesn't add up, when people use the law of God to mistreat the people made in the image of God, he got angry. He got angry. Trying to value God without valuing what God values is a religious thing. Trying to value God without valuing what God values is a religious thing. Your, your religion can be intact, but you're getting in the way of the Father. I don't want to do that. Do you? I don't want us. Here in the vineyard, that we're so intact, that we're so, we've got it so well together that we start to look like we're cleaning up our act. I mean, it's good to clean up your act. I mean, it's, don't come as, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Jesus does change your life, and there is character things that he does change in our life. Right. I mean, I'm a changed person, believe it or not. This is what Jesus said in the Gospels when he says, follow me. Follow me. Do you know what he says? Well, well, let's rephrase it. See humanity as I see humanity. Do good. Save a life. Help someone. Be generous. The rest of Mark's gospel, you can find out, you can read it, but the actually religious leaders do get their way. Uh, Jesus is brutally killed and he gives himself up for them and for you and for me. They don't actually get their way, but they think they get their way. But it's actually Jesus is sacrificially, willingly giving himself for humanity. So, the reason we do OFC is that this is how we follow Jesus here in the vineyard. We, we try and do good. We try and look at humanity in a way that Jesus sees humanity. We're not really interested in stacking up all the rules, but we're very, 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 very intentional about getting the heart of the Father and loving those who are the least and the lost and the broken. 
An OFC, outward focus, Christmas turn, Christmas outward, when we, when we call in your money and your stuff and all that, it's, what we want to do is we want to create a revolution of generosity, not just at Christmas time, but sustain that generosity throughout the year. And what we want to do as a community, as a church together here in the vineyard, is that we want to help those who can't help themselves at some stage in their life. Do you hear it? Isn't that what God did for me? Well, you don't know that, but I know that. That's what God did for me. He, he, he did some stuff for me that I couldn't do for myself. Right, Michelle? He, he did some amazing stuff for me that I couldn't do for myself. I mean, I read all the books, I did all the conferences, bought all the tapes in those days, and uh, I even bought a T-shirt at one time. And yet, all those things couldn't really fix me because I was so broken. The only thing that, 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 was, that was good in the brokenness is that the light got through the crack, as Leonard Cohen talks about. And he heals. And he does for me what I can't do for myself. And so what we want to do for those in our community in a practical way at Christmas time, like we've done for the last 10 years, when we've done for the last 10 years, do you know that within the last, in the last five years, we, we could only trace back the last five years, we went from four luxury hampers to thousands and thousands of hampers. And in the last five years, we have raised £97,000 at Christmas time alone. That's not including all the other money that keeps lights on and the... the allows us to do stuff in India. None of this money goes to India, by the way, guys. This £97,000 over the last thousand of years, over the last thousands of years, <laughs> over the last five years, has gone to sustaining generosity here in Dungannon and Tyrone and the surrounding areas. That money has gone to building and making up hampers that, that retail around £50 each that bless people at Christmas time. And not just that, not just that, but it helps us to sustain generosity in our, our giving in th here through reaching a Thursday. It helps us to do way more than just at Christmas time because we know that people are not just a one-day thought in the eyes of the Father. That generosity has to be sustainable and our compassion has to be sustainable and therefore I am calling you again and again in our double-digit year, would you consider, would you think about, would you see with the eyes of the heart of the Father and would you join with us and all of us across this room and grab your friends and your family and those that you connect with and would you start a new wave of, of generosity and help those who can't help themselves in Christmas and throughout 2017? Would you be up for that sort of thing? I'm finishing with a text. 1 Timothy 6, 17-18 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is, is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. There's a rev revolutionary thought. And it's not just a thought, but there's another command. He says, command them to do good. To be rich. How do you be rich? How do you get rich? You want to get rich? I could put on an American accent and try it. You want to get rich? You want to get rich? How many of you feel rich this morning? I mean, it's easy for me to say you are rich and get rich and be rich, and you're thinking, I ain't feeling it. But I, I ain't feeling it. You know, how many? We, we, we're we're the, probably the top top wealthiest in the world in the UK. We're among the top wealthiest communities and countries in the world. We are really, really rich. How many of you got a car? This ain't a trick question. If you've got a car, put your hand up. Let me ask you another embarrassing question. How many of you got a house for your car? <laughs> it's called a garage. 
<laughs> Let me ask you a more embarrassing question. I need to be really honest, and I'm going to join you in this one. How many of you got a car, got a house for your car, but you've got so much stuff in the house for the car that you can't put the car in the house that was meant for the car? <laughs> Don't you feel rich? And he looked, 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 listen, 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 listen. If you really feel like you're, you're in a real financial baller this morning, would you write me out your account? Uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take it to India with me this week, and I'm going to go into a village, and I'm going to sit down with some people and, and explain your financial situation to them. <laughs> I'm being facetious, I know, and Michelle's going to take me off for that one. But really, really, we are rich. Let's stand. So guys, I have a thought this year. I ain't giving you a target right now, but we, pro- we do have a target on our budget. But can we put up a last slide, just the gift, the given day? Do we have that? What if instead if we went for a 100% target, what instead if we went for 100% given in the room? Rather than just trying to reach a target. <coughs> Because sometimes the target's not really that important. It's the spiritual journey of, and the discipline of generosity and giving and providing and helping those who can't help themselves. What instead if we stop looking at the big target and we have our big gift Sunday on the 11th of December, put it in your iPad, put it in your calendar, put it in your phone, make sure it connects with all your other calendars that you connect with in your... Uh... So what instead, what instead of this year... I mean, shoot me if you want, or just say it's a bad idea, Jason, but what instead of us just looking at a big target, instead of saying we're going to get 100% of the target, we just right now said we're going to give everybody in the room, 100% of us are going to give something, right? What if we did that just? Could we do that? And what if we actually, in the age of where inflation has gone up and, and all that craziness, what if we actually had our best year given. Because guys, this isn't going to stop. Do you honestly think that because we've done 10 years of this, that we're going to stop helping people who can't help themselves? Uh Uh-uh. We're in this. We're in this forever. Jesus says, the prayer you will have with you always. (laughs) Can we pray? Father God, would you just come and get our hearts again, again and again and again. Jesus, whatever it is that you need to get, us on again. Would you just... God, we don't want to be religious. We want to value what you value. We don't want to get in the way of what you're doing among humanity and among people in our community. Father, we don't want the Vineyard Church to get in the way of what you're doing in Dungannon and in Tyrone and the surrounding areas. God, we want to be totally, totally available to you. God, we want to be your hands, your feet, your words. We want to be your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness, your love here on earth. And I'm, I'm so reminded again this morning that when we were singing those songs that you're good, Father, that we would have fainted if we hadn't believed to see the goodness of our God in the land of the living here and now. God, we would have given up way, way too many times. We would have given up long ago if we hadn't seen your goodness here on the earth in our time and in our generation. And you've been so faithful and you've been so good towards us, God. God, would you cause us, church, to be the most outrageous church with generosity? That we wouldn't just be generous, but we would be outrageously generous, God. 
So would you come, Holy Spirit, increase your presence. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come in your power. Come in your power. I just want to do one, one, one quick ministry thing here this morning. I want you to come to the front, if this is you this morning. Can I have some prayer team up and join me just along here? Just very quickly. Just make your way to the front, quickly. Like now. Great. Thank you. If you're dealing with disappointment in your heart this morning, and I, I've just been aware that we were singing songs about God's goodness, and it's, the, the, the one thing that'll cause you to stay around the religious stuff is when we get disappointed with God. You ever got disappointed with God? Yeah? But if you're there today, would you just come to the front? We want to break disappointment over your life. It's okay to be disappointed, but it's not good to stay there because it interferes. It interferes. It keeps God a stranger. When, we, when we're disappointed, we're we keeping, him, keeping him at arm's length. And then religion gets in. So if that's you, would you, just, would you just make your way up? It's not sin to be disappointed. It's life. It's life. Life sometimes makes us disappointed. We want to break that off. Would you just, there's some people here this morning, you just, I'm asking you, the reason I want, to, want you to take the step forward is that's your act of faith. You're beginning to take a step, step towards hope and trust again. Would you make your way to the front? Okay, you don't want people watching you doing that. Let me just pray for you. Put on some music and then make your way to the front. Father God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you are kind, that you're good, that your love is loyal and your love is fierce and you're trustworthy. In Jesus' name I pray. I mean, when you come to the front, if you're dealing with disappointment, get some prayer here this morning. Have a great week. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you.